Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I'm a psychotherapist, teacher, consultant, and most importantly, a wounded healer, living and working in Chicago, Illinois. On this show, I interview folks in a variety of healing professions, and we discuss the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. We're not just focused on individual healing, but also healing on the collective level from white supremacy, late-stage capitalism, and the patriarchy. Thanks for joining us. OMG, it's the end of 2022, y'all. How did we get here? Are you surviving? Are you okay? How have your holidays been? This is a challenging time of year for a lot of people and just want you to know that I send you wishes of love and support and peace and calm and maybe even some joy if you can sprinkle that in there. So all those good wishes for you. Before I go in on my little diatribe today and then we hear from our guest, I mentioned in the last episode that I am going to be largely taking off the month of January. So I am leaving Head Heart Therapy. It is the business that I birthed at the end of 2013, beginning 2014, and I am passing it off to my dear friend and colleague, Rael Grayson, who is going to do amazing, wonderful things with it. And I am starting a consulting practice called Head Heart Business Therapy. And I'm going to be spending my time supporting the health and wellness and growth of therapists, whether that be on an individual level and in supervision, whether it be on a consultant level, helping practice owners run their businesses or organizational levels. That's what I want to do. And there are tons of specific things. You'll, of course, hear the advertisements for the Wounded Healers Group and the Wounded Healers as Leaders Group. So many things that I want to do. I have no idea what's going to happen. And that's kind of the point. I have had a lot of people asking me, what's next? What are you going to do next? And I have a very vague outline of what is next, but truthfully, I don't fucking know. And that's okay. I hate that capitalism tells us that we have to have a plan, that we have to have it figured out, that we have to give people answers for this question. Whenever I get this question now, I'm just like, you know what? What's next is I'm spending time grieving because ending a business or stepping, I'm not ending the business, I'm stepping out of it. It's really fucking emotional, you guys. I've been talking about it in therapy for a while now and the grief that I have about this transition is very similar to the grief that I experienced when I lost my parents in 2014, the year I fucking opened the business. So you guys, like, if people don't believe in astrology, it's fine, but there are cycles and it's not a coincidence that I started the practice when my parents died. I am ending the practice after being in Chicago for 20 years, moving out. Like, I can't describe the feeling of knowing energetically that it's time for me to move on and do something different. And it's complex, right? When my parents passed away, of course there was sadness, but there was also relief. There was some excitement for the future. There was a lot of fear about who am I when I don't have these, you know, predecessors in front of me, literally physically on this plane. And I feel like that about the business too. Who am I if I'm not the owner of Head Heart Therapy? What am I doing if I'm not calling myself a full-time therapist, right? This consultant, like stepping into this business world, it's totally different. I'm excited. I'm scared. I'm all of the things and I don't know what's next and it's okay. So I guess I say all this, you know, not just to share what I'm going through, but also to offer to you if you are in periods of transition and everybody around you is saying, what's next? You can say, I don't fucking know. Calm down. That's capitalism that's asking you to ask me that question. And I don't need to engage in that today. I can just be with my feelings, feel however cuckoo I want to feel. And that's that. So I am taking off the month of January from the podcast for that reason. I just need everything to kind of stop. 
there are some ways that I wish we could go back to March of 2020 and not have all of the fear and just enjoy the rest. Cause that is something that I did not, <laughs> I was too busy freaking out to enjoy any of the rest and the slowdown. And, and I just need to create that for myself. So I'm going to do that. So in the month of January, there will be two weeks where we release small mini episodes of just me kind of sharing a couple things, reminding you that I've got these groups that are coming up. And then in February, which I'm an Aquarius, February 1st is my birthday. February 1st is when I'm going to officially really launch the new brand, Head Heart Business Therapy. So that's that. That's where we are. Thank you for joining me in this. And uh, yeah, we'll see what's next. We shall see. What's next right now is talking to Dr. Jennifer Mullen. I was so excited that she said yes to this invitation because she is a very busy, very important person. She would probably not say she's an important person, but I'm going to say that. So I was so delighted and honored. This was such a heart connected conversation. We have so many things in common that I had no idea and was really surprised and delighted to find out. So without further ado, Dr. Jennifer Mullen is the author of the forthcoming book, Decolonizing Therapy, Oppression, Historical Trauma, and Politicizing Your Practice. Dr. Mullen is a dynamic and highly sought after international speaker as well. She's an organizational consultant, teacher, course creator, community builder, and decolonized mental health movement starter. In December of 2017, Dr. Mullen created the Decolonizing Therapy Instagram, which has grown a large, enthusiastic following and profoundly shifted the world's understanding of therapy and mental health. Dr. Mullen received her doctorate in clinical psychology from California Institute of Integral Studies and a master's in counseling and community agencies from New York University. So please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Jennifer Mullen. I'm really excited to share a new offering with you all. Wounded Healers as Leaders is a support and working collective for group therapy practice owners who want to lead from the heart while building a thriving ethical business and step into conscious leadership with courage. Running a group practice is challenging both practically and emotionally. There's absolutely no way to know everything about running a therapy practice. And even though you may be a solo boss, to run a practice, do it well, and maintain your mental health is nearly impossible to do alone. Meetings will be held twice a month with one meeting dedicated to the logistics of running a practice, while the second monthly meeting will be structured as a support group for the emotional components of carrying a business on your shoulders. This group might be for you if you're a group therapy practice owner with one to five years experience and less than 15 employees. For more details and to register, visit tinyurl.com slash woundedhealerleaders. That's tinyurl.com slash woundedhealerleaders. Hello, Dr. Jennifer Mullen is with me. How are you? Hello. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Really, I just keep doing this podcast because I just want to talk to cool people. That's the secret. That's smart. I can get done with that. I like that. Right? Nobody would talk to me otherwise. But if I have them on a podcast, then it's great. <laughs> so not true. So not true. <laughs> I'm just so excited. I have no idea what we're going to get into today, but I know it's going to be kick-ass. Likewise, I'm excited. Um, I love the work that y'all do, and I'm just really appreciative. This is, I love the surprising conversations. So let's go. Let's go. Let's go. So to orient folks, so you are decolonizing therapy on Instagram, and I believe you have a book coming out, which I want to hear all about. And our practice, Head Heart Therapy, did your um, politicizing your practice and really, really enjoyed that. So that's kind of how we know about you. But I'd love to hear how you might introduce yourself to the world. Well, number one, thank you. Thank you for the support and thank you for taking the series. Um, it's funny because I feel like I'm constantly shifting, changing. I think I am a shapeshifter, right? I, and I think a lot of us on this journey are consistently growing and outgrowing things. So I feel like every time I introduce myself or the work that I do, there's like a shift. And I kind of like that. I kind of own that, right? <laughs> yeah. So feel free to call me Jen, Dr. Jen, Jennifer, whatever resonates. Well, thank um, you. Yeah. So how do I introduce myself today? As a person that holds space for really big, difficult emotions, and particularly, I think the work I've done for the last 
24 years has been around helping people dig into their collective shadow and unconscious and really helping and healing and working through the collective unconscious. So really that's what I think on a deeper level, right? I don't always say this, that decolonizing therapy does, but I'm a mixed race black woman, uh, light skin privilege, bigger body, neurodivergent individual that grew up on the East coast, but lived in the West coast for about three and a half years, which, and West coast definitely has my heart. I have to admit, sorry about, Mm. (laughs) I really miss it. (laughs) I am a cat mom to my amazing cat, goddess Isis. I am a daughter and a really annoying sister with really immature (laughs) sense of humor. My brother is listening to this, which he probably won't. But if he is, um, F you, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fuck you, Adam, too. We'll do it to mine as well. He won't listen either. Great. (laughs) Pick on our siblings a bit. Uh, I'm the older sister. And so there's a lot that comes with that, Mm -hmm. right? There's a lot that comes with holding space for a lot of people. I have been Eurocentrically, traditionally trained as a clinical psychologist. And I, oh my gosh, I took quite a while. I worked everywhere from prisons, federal prisons. I've worked particularly with people that have caused a lot of harm that would identify as like sexual offenders, or maybe they would not identify as such, but society would definitely identify them as such, as well as individuals, particularly children and adolescents and families that have been deeply harmed particularly by sexual, physical traumas and neglects. For many, many, many years, um, hospital settings, residential settings. Then I worked with youth for a while that had committed pretty heinous offenses, usually sexual offenses. I realized that somewhere along the way that I was working out my childhood stuff. Welcome. (laughs) You're in the right place. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And realizing somewhere along the way that I was trying to make sense of things. That just, I'm not saying that there's no sense, but perhaps we can't grasp that on this level, on this plane, or maybe people themselves can't grasp it. Yeah. And so I think that I put myself through, I'm doing air quotes unconsciously, really, really intense frontline work. Soon after that, I was doing a lot of organizing on the West Coast. I was living in the Bay Area. I was getting into community organizing. I was getting into like identity politics and then even deeper than identity politics because I think living and growing up in the inner city of just like Jersey City, West New York and Hudson County, New Jersey and New York area, Brooklyn, I I was very well aware that racism and oppression was playing out, but there was a lot of where I grew up, a lot more people that looked like me or brown, black like me, that I wasn't overthinking it. You know, it wasn't yet, in my mind, impacting me on such a deep level until I really started seeing some of the deepest forms of violence, (laughs) which are frequently, um, it's what I call like at the root. So I do a lot of root work, meaning helping folks get to the bottom of it and sort of like re-educating, helping us slowly unlearn and even though I do have a series, you know, that politicizing your practice series, really it is such a lifelong process. It isn't something that like a course or a workshop can just sort of do for you, right? Like it's, I'm inviting practitioners to embark on their own journey because I'll frequently get the question, how did you get where you are? How did you learn what you did? And um, that's really valid question because I remember being there as a student or even as a practitioner engaging with someone in a conference. I was like, oh, you're badass. Okay, how'd you learn this, right? But as a lot of us know, it's like a culmination of life experience and a culmination of my own healing work. I worked with Ruth King as a student, humbly of Ruth King, who wrote Healing Rage. And that's how I got into my own work and understanding that Rage showed up in multiple ways in my body, mind, and spirit and in my family system. You know, I started getting into a lot of spiritual work. And so that's part of who I am as well. I am also a spiritual practitioner. I think I'm continuing to come out of the broom closet to the world. But to my family and friends, it's just comes along with who Jen is. It's not a question. They're kind of just shocked that I don't just offer readings or something. <laughs> Ever since I was a kid, I just knew things with a capital K. My mom is very similar and I have a deep connection to my ancestors. And so over the years with the right teachers, places and spaces and with better understanding my lineage. Yeah. uh, Being um, 
Black Panamanian, Indigenous Kuna Indian, Panamanian on my mother's side, like very close. And my dad, Irish and Italian. My ancestors communicate with me in very intense ways. And so learning how to set those boundaries, learning how to not think there's something wrong with me because a field that I so dearly loved said there was, yeah. right? Or I tell only the right, right. people kind of things. And so that's why I seek to really bring an integration and a re-remembering to our fields, right? Like I'm not asking people to participate in practices that are not in alignment with them or their ancestry or anything of that nature. But I would really like to see us all, all kinds of practitioners, right? Somatic, therapeutic, psychiatric, you know, you name it. I would like to see us a honor that which we received so much of our teachings and learnings from. Yes. (laughs) Right? We have co-opted so much. And B, I would like to see us acknowledge that the way that we're currently working within these systems and structures and institutions, even if we're in private practices, nonprofit, whatever, you know, even when we have really well-meaning intentions, that it perhaps is not fully working for us. I can't tell you how burnout has affected my life. Right? (laughs) You really never, I don't think, recuperate from whatever we call burnout, right? right? Like, really, it's like being used systemically. Yeah, exactly. Not when it's a systemic problem. It's not burnout. (laughs) Right, right. And I do think that many of us probably, I'm generalizing, we're really drawn, yeah, to this like science aspect or this aspect of how do I hold this? Show me a frame. Like, you know, I can go to school for this. Great. But really at a deep level, I think a lot of us wanted to be healers and counselors and caretakers and it came natural to us. And I don't always think that there were a lot of obvious outlets, Yeah, you know, in college for how to do that. Like nursing, doctors, and so that's who I am and what I'm interested in. That's a little bit of what I do. I love that deep intro and so many things I could comment on. But I guess the first thing is I'm so glad that you mentioned sort of this like internal knowing, right? Like knowledge with a capital K. And one of the things that's been coming up for me recently that I just talked about in therapy yesterday was the I'm also more like intuitive and embodied and evidence-based like fuck CBT. I don't know. Like everyone knows here. I hate CBT. It's fine. (laughs) And the more notoriety I get, the more I do in my career, the more that's being asked of me to fit into that evidence-based box. And so now I'm in this place of like, because one of my biggest things is like, do not cause harm, do not hurt people, do not say things that are not true. And yet at the same time, if I don't have evidence for this in some sectors, I can't say X, Y, Z, what I know to be true. And, you know, I was just with my therapist yesterday, kind of being in this space of like grief, because it's so challenging. I just don't want to be a person who I've seen too many people use their intuition to harm people, right? I'm leading people. I literally saw a person this weekend who was fucking dangerous working in the addiction industry, really disempowering people in the name of empowerment. And I was like, mediocre white man, you need to fucking step off. And I don't want to be that guy. (laughs) So there's this fight going on inside of me of where can I find the balance and how do I stay in integrity and authenticity and marry it all together? Yeah. Y'all can't see me, but I'm nodding and and I have a bad habit. (laughs) I don't know if you know anything about human design, side note. I'm a tangent person, but I found out, I just want to say this because it it feels relevant and we're going to come back right to this. Oh yeah. So I found out that I'm something called a generator and... I shout out to P the Ferry, who is amazing. You can find them on social media. So P the Ferry does these human design sessions. And I had two sessions because I adored them. And I learned that generators, when it's a yes, when it's a somatic embodied yes, that we almost can't control the mm, mm, mm-hmm, mm. Like we have like guttural reactions to things. I just wanted to share that. So mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a guttural physical. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> So don't edit that out, team. <laughs> Honoring, right? All parts of ourselves is what I hear you talking about. And so I so deeply resonate with what you're sharing. I, too, have been harmed by individuals who, A, 
I'm going to put lump spirituality into one for, for the sake, right? Because we can be here forever trying to explain and tease out, but I have been harmed by spiritual people, teachers that I trusted with information that were also good at gaining information for their own financial gain, whether or not they were conscious of it. I also realized that I had to encounter some of these people to learn my embodied no. Same. Right? To learn, yes. like, how often have I let this... It's not my fault. Like, it's not... I'm not blaming me or anyone else. But where has this played out in my childhood? Where has this played out in my life? Like, whoa, this feels familiar and the wound is deep. Yes. So there's that. And then I'm with you. I think I continue to work with practitioners and people. And I also had a therapist for 10 plus years who I loved. Shout out to Dr. Chacon, who gently created space for me to talk about little girl I would see outside my window when I was little or how I was like terrorized with the things I saw when I was little and how no one believes me. Um, and how I don't have an answer, but I strongly believe that accountability within community is the answer. Yes. Right. That's it. That's it. Like I'm not hiding it, which I often did as a clinician Right. When I was freshly working super long hours, like real talk, like there's times I felt strong, like maybe perhaps someone's grandmother was sitting behind me and like, how do you forget and explain that shit? Right. But sometimes just the right intervention, that wasn't my clinical training. It wasn't just, okay, call it spidey senses, intuition, whatever. But there was certain specific question that I Okay, I can't say that, but I can ask this <laughs> and perhaps they'll want to go down that route. And if they don't, that's cool. Right. And I think that's another difference. It's not a us and them or good and bad, because I think all of us can succumb to the danger of that power dynamic. Yes. But I think some good practice is being able to talk about it, be able to share with other people, check in about particular examples, families, communities, individuals we're working with. And I also think constantly checking our egos, just checking that this isn't about me being liked or me being knowing more or fitting some trend or, you know, like really checking what I bring in a small little funny example. Um, my parents said I was always like, and I was also like a very dramatic child, if you can't tell. <laughs> Same. <laughs> We grew up pretty like poverty level. Like my parents both worked like two jobs. I kind of didn't see the strain. I just saw it in their fighting. If that makes mm, sense. Like the yeah, money yeah. strain, you know? Yeah. My parents are together 44 years on Tuesday and they're just a trip. They're doing great. Living their little lives in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and what I think is so fascinating is I needed outlets for my sensitivity as a kid. And I noticed this in a lot, not all, but in many therapists, clinicians, social workers, you know, not all of us, but even if we're introverted, there's a sense of, there's a creativity, a talent, an intuition, a deep sensitivity. Like, what did you want to be before being a therapist? Oh, a veterinarian. Oh, why? Because I just loved animals and I would see them on the corner and I'd pick them up and I'd this. Tell me more about that. That's why I loved often working with therapists and helping them transition into like second, third career. But I think this day and age, because we're asked, depending on where we work or who we work for, to hold so much and so many people. Like, I think yes. the town healers, curanderas, santeras, the shamans, there were one or two families or individuals that they were supporting in a village. And then the village was also maybe feeding them, helping to wash their clothes, not because, not always this power dynamic of do this for me, I know more, but... I'm over here holding space for these people in such big ways. This emotional labor is honored, right? And we don't have that. I have a former student who's amazing, who still doesn't know what they're doing. None of us ever feel like we do. And they're 97 people, human beings, there to see a month, not weekly, but in some way, shape or form. And they're a therapist in community mental health. They're getting their hours. Wait, so... And at all costs. And if they do not, and we're working on how to hold this organization accountable, and then it's sad because they're one of the only options for people whose Spanish is their primary language in this particular community. You know, not shouting them out. I don't want to go there. But yeah, all of this to say, um, I don't know if it's sustainable 
when we're trying to do the work that we think that we're here for. And so anyway, it's not. Um, I, I, said, I said, I sometimes tangent, but it all comes back. But based on what you said, I remember being in kindergarten and literally, and my parents tell this story all the time. And I said, the teacher was yelling at my friends. Usually I can take it, but they were like being unnecessarily mean and snappy. And this was normally a really kind teacher. And I was like, you're only mad because your husband's cheating on you. I was right. Oh, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> In kindergarten. Wow. Wow. And that was my experience throughout my life that I would get in trouble for speaking my truth, even if it was on point, even if it was to mom, dad, why are you taking this out on Mike? You're just mad because you're embarrassed because the neighbor said something. Why are you getting mad at me? You're pissed off because you're unhappy. Why are you calling me guy? You're the one who's like, you know, like I just didn't have that filter. I don't think I still do. Just was really big on truth. Whatever that means. I was really big on like fairness and truth and being kind. And when people weren't kind, I couldn't avoid that. Yeah. While Wounded Healers as Leaders is focused on group practice owners, Wounded Healer virtual groups are for individual mental health practitioners. I'll be offering our third round of Wounded Healer virtual groups starting February 2023. In our lifetime, it's never been more challenging to be a mental health professional. And as Wounded Healers, we are called to attend to our own recovery and transformation in order to support the healing of others. Just listen to what past participants have shared about what made this group special to them. The community, the individual members and the group as a whole, the dedicated intentional time to come together and connect in an authentic way. The group sharing and the chakra teachings, Sarah's humor and support. Feeling less alone in some of the professional struggles I'm feeling. The community aspect, it's great to be with others in the industry and receive their feedback and support. Wounded Healers virtual groups will meet for eight weeks, Monday evenings on Zoom starting February 6, 2023. For pricing and information and to register, visit www.tinyurl.com slash woundedhealersvg-3. That's tinyurl.com slash woundedhealersvg-3. I'm the truth teller in my family. And so much of my own personal work has been learning, not even really a filter, but like when to be judicious with what I say, (laughs) you know, and uh, really just like trusting because so many times I was gaslit for what I knew to be true and being able to speak it and allow myself to know it. Yes, I'm finally coming into really in an embodied way, trusting that I was traumatized and it's such a scary thing to say out loud. And oh my God. So I relate to that. I also want to touch on what you said about caring for the healers in the village. So Michelle Winston, we talked about this before we started recording, but everyone has heard Michelle's episodes. She's the only person I've interviewed twice because she's that amazing. And she and I were talking this weekend we're trying to figure out how we can collaborate on something. And she's talking about this, like, how do we give care? How do we create more of a collective that is caring for the caregiver? And there's a whole bunch of other stuff we talked about too, but this is where I have hope because of you doing the work and really spreading this and all the other people I know that are doing the work. But I also simultaneously struggle to have hope Because our society has never been structured in a way that is going to be truly supportive, right? We literally would have to flip everything upside down. Literally. Literally. Right? So let's talk about hope for a second. Because, you know, as someone who's also been an activist, right? Like, where do you find it? What are you seeing that keeps you going? What are you noticing? Yes, 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 yes. What gives me hope is... When I don't have answers for things, usually there's someone somewhere within the next two weeks or so that is talking about something and I either way I overhear it or they're talking to me and it's been there all along. It's not something that's like, oh, nebu-, like far out. It, sometimes it's nebulous, but it's clear. But sometimes, oh, it's 
that simple. Maybe I don't have to do it, right? Like, oh, maybe there's someone to do that editing. Maybe I don't have to do it. Oof. And so I bring that up to say, maybe I don't have to do it when it comes to a lot of things. Can we like savor that for a second? Because that's wait, that's a white supremacist thing showing up, right? Is that I have to do it. I have to fix. I have to save. Yes. And racialized bodies have also internalized that, right? You know, that's part of what I've internalized. Right. Right. And I think that that's when I began DT in full earnest honesty, it was my students and my peer education group. I've done a lot of deep, probably DT started with them. I was doing that work for 13 years and teaching and crisis at the counseling center. So hence burnout, right? <laughs> and, 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 we know how this goes. Yeah. They put me on Instagram and they were like, the world needs this and the world needs you to talk about. And at the time, 2013, 2012, and I wasn't yet on Instagram. And I don't even know if Instagram was a thing, but that's when my dissertation was on intergenerational trauma. And that's when I defended and, since then, I couldn't move my lens away from the generational, right? I couldn't unsee it. I couldn't unsee the geopolitical issues. That when someone was coming in, I couldn't just see childhood trauma. I also couldn't help but ask certain questions to help me get to the root of the historical or allow them to perhaps stick a toe in there. And then some of them, especially like 20-something-year-old students, would not just stick a toe in there, again, around hope, but I witnessed so many of them as I, I co-facilitated, co-created LGBTQIA support group for 13 years, and then this peer education group that multiple intersecting identities. They're just amazing. And I would watch these students once, it was like a toe, a toe, you know, I'm not sure, pull back, get mad at all of us. All y'all are fucked up. You're just trying to get to the root of me. I don't know. And then like come back a semester later or a month later or a day later. Like, okay, I'm ready. Right. That fucking gives me not hope, but also makes me emotional. Right. I get emotional when I witness the resiliency isn't even the right word, but like tenacity, the passion, the power, the healer warrior energy and individuals where they're like, yeah. And then when I check in, why, why, what made you switch? What made you decide to continue with us when other people on campus think we're a little hokey or that we're a little too clicky or we're coldish or whatever, because we're happy and we like being around each other. And we're, instead of being with the faculty, I'm over here with all of you, right? Like, What's wrong with us, right? We go on these retreats. It's weird. And I'll hear a variety of things from, you know, my father hit me again or beat me again. Look, and they might be like 25 years old, but still at home, you know, for vast amount of reasons. And, and I just realized the shit had to stop with me, Dr. Jen. I would hear things like, I'm doing this for my son because I'm witnessing it myself as I'm yelling at him in a way that I said I would never do because my mother did it to me. And here I am. Or, you know, I started doing individual therapy and it was great, but something... Like I wanted them to like pick deeper or help me like clear some things a little deeper, whatever the reasons were. And so that gives me hope because there's a hunger. And I think that we have the privilege, these generations that maybe some of our ancestors didn't to slow the fuck down, even though we don't feel like we are, but slow down and to be a little indulgent yeah, and sort of look at, Hey, where did this start? And how do we, pause this, seize this, slow this down, stop this? How do we become more aware of this felt sense in my body before I go to rage and get pissed off and cuss everybody out in the classroom? Like, maybe I need to separate myself from it, right? And so every time I would see someone choose themselves and choose their, like, family line, in some way, shape, or form, that gave me hope. Other things that give me hope is, like, nature and its regenerative processes, I'm just continuously amazed as somebody who grew up in a very, we would call it concrete jungle. You know, I hated grass all my life. My students would even laugh. They're like, oh, we're sitting on the grass. I'm like, I will be right here in my folding chair on the concrete or one foot with a shoe. This is like up to three years ago, like two years ago. (laughs) Until like one of my spiritual communities, my shaman community helped me stand barefoot in grass and I cried. And I really didn't like it. And some of it is texture and my neurodivergent self. But some of it is also like this disconnect from earth and land. And I so badly needed grounding. Yeah. 
And then the last thing I'll say, you know, I can go on forever, but hope. Mm -hmm. um, What gives me hope is that I think a lot of us, like yourself, like Mashara, like others, we're asking the hard-ass questions and we're willing to say, hey, here's what I do know, or here's the knowledge I do come with, or, you know, here's my offering. And I don't see the whole picture, nor should I have to. I think we all have pieces and they work together. Thank you for saying that. That's another piece too. And back to this, like, I don't have to do it all. I don't have to know it all. Right. And it's, yes, I'm like having this image of all of us having these different puzzle pieces and what a beautiful picture we can put together as a community instead of just this individual little thing that we're looking at. Yeah. And how lonely it is individually, right? How we burn out individually. So I started seeing that in DT decolonizing therapy where, yeah, I left my job of 13 years and higher ed. And, but then I was working intense hours and I then was responsible for paying my admin or my disperse. You know, this feeling of like, what did I get myself the fuck into? This is hard. I don't know shit about business. Like my parents have gone bankrupt. Like no one has taught me how to, <laughs> like, what, what do you want me to do? Like, what do I think of paying myself? Like, it's just like all of these places and spaces where alone it's nearly impossible. But when I enlist help and when I ask and when I'm in community, there's a likelihood that there can be a really beautiful barter. And what's more important to me is an exchange of energy. Like if after a session with someone, I was, I don't know how some of us did it so long, you know, before we started talking about energy dynamics, but as a highly sensitive person, being intuitive, neurodivergent, like I think I would absorb and suck out stuff from people, you know, without knowing it. And they would leave like, thanks, Dr. Jen. And it was a little bit selfish of me unconsciously to think that like in, in order for me to do this work, they have to leave feeling good. And this is even after years of knowing better. There was just sort of like my identity and self worth in some unconscious way was tied up into this approval that I was okay. And I don't know if therapy as it stands currently is also fair to us long-term in terms of how many people we hold space for and in the way I would like to see it go. My little humble opinion and where it's not just like once a week for this many hours, I'd like to see something a little bit more vast, but at the same time, something that holds our boundaries and our energetic needs intact. Part of the whole mission of this podcast is to humanize the therapist and to make it okay for us to have our own struggles, to be working through things. And I have found, at least at our practice, what we're seeing right now is either it's such high acuity that people just can't do any better and they have these really high expectations of their therapist to fix them, or I don't know what it is in the air right now, but the, and I'm saying this word not from a judgment space, but for lack of a better term, but entitlement to healing in a capitalistic sort of driven way. And just thinking of one of my my supervisees who said, yeah, I have this client and they have a very specific agenda of what they want. And I'm like, well, you might need to tell them right now that you can't do that because that's not what healing is. From our perspective, you could probably go someplace down the road and they may be a little more solution focused and goal oriented, but we do depth work here. And so that's just not the type of therapist you are, but we're getting it over and over and over again. There's something happening right now. And I'm guessing that it's desperation and it's the systemic pull, the systemic pain that then is individually crystallizing in these people just saying, fucking fix me. I think that we need that moment to like take in everything you said. I'm feeling like chills through me. Yeah, I hear you with the entitlement and not in a judgy way. Like, fix me. Like you said, like, like I'm going to just go out on a limb here, right? Like when you said that, what I felt or what I heard, um, I'm working out this theory, like the earth is sentient. Yes. To understand, and I'll get into in a minute, like a dream that I had, I don't think it was a dream, but I related to Mother Earth, Parent Earth, I'm sorry. And one of the senses also is that Earth and other sentient, anything growing, living, right? Like, like, and 
not necessarily talking, but perhaps, right? <laughs> but these sentient energies around us, plus all of the violence currently for many of our bodies and beings, places and spaces across the world. But like skeletons are literally and figuratively coming out of the literally. closet, right? Like literally Lake Mead, which is the street I grew up on. P.S. Fucked up, but true. They're like literally. And it feels like a very powerful time. And because these literal and metaphorical skeletons, many of which are deeply psychological, let me say that, deeply, which is why I think that this is such a quote unquote time for therapists or insta therapists. It's not that. It's that therapy is one of the main, more conscious contexts that we have towards this vehicle, towards healing or freedom or liberation of. And I really feel and sense, um, and definitely with some of the people I work with in groups, as well as my own and as well as some of my close friends, that our ancestors and our some of our lineage are really coming through us. And so... When I hear and engage with people's ancestors or I help people form a practice to honor their ancestors in a way that feels good for them, doesn't mean they have to follow a specific religion or spirituality. Shit, I've worked with people that are atheist, agnostic, right? And like, we can't deny that people came before us <laughs> five, six, seven generations, whether or not they're around, that could be debatable, right? But um, I have worked with agnostics and atheists and for ancestral veneration and just um, some people being ridden, per se, by their ancestors, meaning like some of my spiritual lineages and cultural lineages, there's a belief that sometimes when someone is dealing, and again, this is dealing with certain kinds of little idiosyncrasies or addiction even, like that there is also maybe energy or energies or ancestors that are sort of living, eating, smoking, thriving, sexing through them. Again, this is also a very old cultural perspective too. And sometimes there's remedies for this within our cultures. <laughs> Drink this, eat this, clap like mm -hmm. this, fire, da, 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 burn it then. All these things, right? And I think all cultures might have different ways and remedies of managing this mounting or the energy or presence being through you. And so I say this to say, when you said that, almost like this pushy entitled, like, hey, I, I need da, 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 da. A, I just feel... Or I heard rather that sometimes, because like right, some of our ancestors, some white ancestors weren't thinking about white supremacy and their privilege. They weren't thinking about their entitlement. So what I felt and sensed was this also sense that some of the people in the lineage are like, oh, okay, now we know more. We need to get fixed. Like we can't let this happen or you need to fix me, right? Because maybe the person's reading a lot of trauma literature. I don't know. You know, maybe the person's following all these people online yeah. to help them heal. And so that's just one thought I had. And another thought I had or feeling rather as you were talking was this deep sense that this reckoning, <laughs> this very old, old pain, both wants healing. It's like a hunger or like this deep hole that you can't scratch. I remember when I was deeply, deeply, deeply in very codependent energy, it was never enough. When I was in addiction energy, shit, it was not enough, right? Like that hunger, that ache that clients, people talk about, right? Like it's just like never enough, right? Oh yeah. That insatiable energy to me is like something that we are wanting. And then the more that we avoid that shadow work or that thing, and I'm not saying to go shoot up or go, right? <laughs> but the more we avoid looking at it, talking about it, being real about it, saying, yeah, I have a relationship with this thing <laughs> and it's taking over my life and it's fucking up my other relationships the more that it like just takes us by the throat by the scruff and just does what it wants with us mm. and um i've witnessed this in my own family i've witnessed this in people that i've served worked with i've witnessed this on front lines with other activists and other people where even their activism as beautiful as it is takes them out and nearly takes their life consistently and constantly so they don't have to think about other things. Almost like in this obsessive kind of loop, I'm like, oh, wow, this is something old playing out. This isn't the first time they were on the battlefield. It just looked different. Maybe they had a bayonet, right? Maybe they had a spear. Like maybe, you know, maybe it looked different. And so I think that there is space at this time, even though it doesn't feel like it. We're getting a chance to let 
the earth grieve and letting ourselves grieve. This is an opportunity to sort of like make that K-turn. I don't know if we can make a U-turn, but make a K-turn around the climate crisis and environmental racism. This is an opportunity for a lot of us to get really effing uncomfortable. Like I like my air conditioning, but shit, maybe I'm really going to be real. I need to get used to this heat. (laughs) We need to think about how we travel and how we fly. I don't need to get on any boxes. I think many of us listening to this probably care very much what's happening to this world. But I do think we are literally turning upside down the mental health field. And I would like to see us acknowledge more that it is the emotional health that we're talking about. Emotional, spiritual health, collective health. I'd like to hear us, see us talk more about. And I will frequently tell really well-meaning therapists that have been trained just like me. (laughs) So I'm the first one on the line. I just want to say that. And I try to tell people that all the time. I seem punchy, but I've been punchy with myself first. And so I'm with you. The only way to shift it is to get really fucking uncomfortable thinking that we know a lot and we know it all. We need to unlearn it. (laughs) And so I notice with therapists, what I'll frequently say is like, yeah. Who would you be without being the problem solver and the caretaker from a personal to also a client level? Like if we just took that shit away, would you have anything? What would it feel like? Sometimes I get tears. You know, sometimes it's like, well, whatever. Uh, well, uh, I don't fucking know. I don't know, Dr. Jen. <laughs> you know what I'm like? And that's okay to not know, but that that's means mm-hmm. I just can't give you tips, techniques, and remedies to fucking decolonize your therapy either, my love. And I say this to, like, when I'm one-on-one or small groups that are intimate, I just say it straight out. Like, that means that we got to take some time with this shit because this psychological enslavement, you know, one of the chapters of the book, has been working on us for a really long time. And we have sort of been gatekeepers of this, even unknowingly, even with the best of fucking intentions. Most of us didn't go into this to mind fucking gaslight people, but we need to start divesting from just being ethical to a board and thinking about ethics for the people and communities and the land that we serve or that we're on. And so that's my thing. It's like, okay, you can be ethical to board. Sure. But are we being ethical also to these people? Okay, I told you, I get passionate. I start going off. I'm with you. For me, what it always comes back to is if therapists are not doing our self-work, that's it, right? Like if you're doing your self-work, eventually you'll be able to come. Because I I think there's a certain amount of ego strength that a person needs to have in order to be able to decolonize themselves, start doing this work. Cause it's funny, like I was taking this embodied social justice course and where I am in my little sphere, I'm one of the more woke people. And so I'm used to just being very woke and I get it. Sure. Say whatever about racism. I know white people. Oh, we suck. Blah. I can take it. Right. But when it came to ableism, I was like, (laughs) oh shit, I have been really harming my students and some of my staff with the ableist views that I've held. And so it's like, it's a continued humbling, a continued like unpeeling of the onion, right? To it's ego strength. I think of it like, I always thought about in therapy, we're like building ego strength. So then we can like, let go of the ego from a spiritual perspective. And I think that's what it is with this work too. Beautiful. And so with that, yeah, there's a part of me very human, Jen. Catty Catterton is what I call it. <laughs> that's like, okay, so why are we a therapist if we don't have that ego strength? Right? And that's not fair. That's not, I'm not saying that's fair. I'm not saying that's fair. I'm just saying, I guess I always had a certain um, expectation. Yes! <laughs> Can you and I just be best friends? Because clearly we think the same exact way about everything. I'm just loving this. Yes! Yes. I, I'm being real. This is like my humanness, yes. right? My ego, maybe. Like, I'm just like, I would sit with some brilliant, and I'm sure you probably can identify. I would sit at tables with some brilliant scholars, scholar activists, clinicians, psychiatrists who knew the right this, knew the right that, had the right code, had the da 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 da. This is the right intervention. Ba, 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 ba. But eventually their ass would show. 
and we all have it, right? We're all you we men, all, do, all yeah. of us, mm-hmm. but around stuff related to people we're working with, right? And I would remember getting really, really irritated. They're like, oh, well, she's just acting out. And oh my gosh, I don't know why you keep letting her back after, you know, she's with you for three sessions and she stops. And we had a wait list at the center in which I worked, 98 students, only three therapists. University was not hiring more therapists, but of course there were more HR managers, diversity, equity people that weren't doing shit, right? Well, all of this to say, I refused to adhere to the session limit if it did not feel in alignment with the person. And my boss yeah, had my back. And hypothetically, some of my other colleagues that were white presenting or white, although we could talk about it, they gone to undoing racism with me, like they were woke per se-ish. Yeah. When it came to the work and they felt like, well, I'm going to get my hand slapped or one of us are going to have egg on our face or so it would be this, we're going to get in trouble. And I'm just like, well, then let's fucking burn it. Let's get it. Like, you know, right. Let's you know, like, get do in trouble. It, do it. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> finally. And they're like, no, Jen, we need money yeah. for the center. We need this. We need that. We need. Right. And so they're just going to shut us down. So I was frequently the martyr, the problem child. I was frequently the scapegoat, problem child, black sheep. Same. <laughs> Stop reading my diary. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we get into this work. That's how we get into this work. Yes. But, but all of this to say that these were great clinicians. Like I would refer people from my period group to them and they did great work with them as far as I understood from the students because they would share and they would talk if they didn't like something. (laughs) But what frequently would come up is, well, we have a wait list. This person can't get service until, until next semester. I'm like, dude, they're unhoused. Yes, they have an attitude like the cutest honey badger you want to see. <laughs> they will tear up everybody in this office verbally from head to scrotum. Like, yes. And they're deserving of services. And if anything more, that like they need consistent support. And they're used to breaking the rules and having people say, oh, you broke the rules, so I can't help you anymore. And I'm not going to do that with them. Exactly. As long as they respect generally our frame, but they want to go ghost. I'm going to be here when they come back. Like, hey, so, you know, I notice every time I tell you I'm going to go on vacation, you're MIA for three sessions. And you hope that I'm just going to cut it off like the other therapist did with you. And so I just want to talk about that. And it, there's like, yep. Oh, well, it's not about you being on vacation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Knowing that, right, dad left, never came back. Said he went on vacation, right. never came back. Right. So right. I know this. I'm not going to say that, you know. But I say this to say that... um I do think that our warrior spirits are necessary. And I do think that we all need to continue. Like, it's not old just because people say it over and over. Like, investigate your internalized white supremacist ideologies and check your whiteness. I ask people all the time, especially when I was teaching, how is whiteness in the room? Most of my class were black, brown, you know, Arab identified. And they'd be like, Dr. Jen, like me and my clients, none of us are white. And I would say, how's whiteness still in the room? I asked what I asked. Did you hear? (laughs) They're like, right. Oh, we need to sit with that. I'm like, well, then sit with it. You don't need fast answers. This isn't McDonald's. Like, that's the thing about investigating coloniality and decolonization. Like, frequently, I think, you know, we're used to give me the frame, give me the paradigm, give me the quick fix, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. But in even writing the book, I kept going back to loved ones and people that have helped support this work and honor me in this process saying, I don't know if I have like a frame to give them. I don't know. I don't know if I have an answer. I don't know. if." And like great coaches, people, places, white accomplices would be like, who told you that you were so special that you need to, with a loving way, but you need to have a fucking answer, Jen. Yeah. Like you have many questions, you have more questions. You're asking us to do the work on ourselves. You're asking us to be in community. You're asking us to organize each other. Basically, I'm asking people to start organizing, meaning like activism, like like start thinking about what can we start changing in our state, in our country, in our what have you, like what can we do differently? Where do we need to ask for more? Where do we need to give less? How do we want to change our titles? Do we want titles? Do we want to use DSM? Okay, how can we get paid? Like, I want us to organize and think about what's possible because 
some org place space is going to come up or it already has, right? Like, like, you know, some possibilities right. that the rest of us can continue to, ah, that feels good. I like that. And so I just think it's all an undoing process from birth to death. We're all unlearning and um, the white supremacist ideology that many of us have been fed, right? The misogyny, so deeply ingrained with that. The ableism, so deeply ingrained with that. And the capitalism. <laughs> is all about taking and using to turn for profit in some way, shape or form, right? It's this, in a spiritual way, not in a gendered right. way. Like it's this masculine energy of get, go, answers. Produce. Give me. <laughs> and I think that at this time, it is a time of receiving, birthing, grieving, dying, raging, you know, not to harm, but to expel and release and to grieve with it. It is a time of questioning. It is a time of coming together, in my humble opinion, and saying, shit, what would it look like if we really felt the enormity of what my people or some of my people did? to these folks like there were people right and and what does that look like to for hundreds of years tell people that they're less than human what does it look like for hundreds of years to strip babies away from mamas and dads and family systems you don't think that's going to have an effect in 2022 what does that look like to only be good enough based on your labor your physical labor or breastfeeding someone else's child, or tilling their field, or building their fucking White House, right? So I'm hearing this thing lately where people are like, we need to forgive, it's divisive, we don't want to separate. And I hear that. I totally respect that, but it takes time. You need to grieve. You can't just forgive. Uh, And you get to be angry. Talk about the spiritual bypassing, right? And like gaslighting people, places, spaces for not being like woke, spiritual, woo-woo. And and they don't say it in that way, but like kind of poo-pooing the anger or the this or getting stuck in something. And it's like some people may be stuck in it because they're still working it through. I don't know about you, but the times when I was most depressed, if we choose to use that word, you know, and deep in my grieving process and rage, I felt so stuck. I couldn't see anything else, even if there were tons of hands and ropes. Right. It's a very overwhelming thought. And so, yeah, I I appreciate the work that we're doing with the surrender. People like us, where we're sort of surrendering to like, I know a bit about some stuff. And there's a bit that I don't know anything about. (laughs) But I know who does know it. So I'm gonna call her right now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's coming close to the end of the hour and I really respect your time so much. I could talk to you forever. So literally anytime you want to come back, please consider me a friend, but tell us where people can find the book, when it's going to be out, anything else you're doing where people can follow you, find you, connect with you. Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. Pre-order and release date is still yet to be given to even me. What we're hearing is about late winter to spring of 2023. People can find me at drjennifermullen.com. Be on the lookout for our Befriending Your Rage course. That'll have a nice container and people can do the work together. And we're going to have nice and spaced out where you'll get a little bit of the intuitive self where we're going to be looking at sort of shadow, dark, mother, goddess energy in alignment with mm. some of the ways that our rage might camp come up. Like rage is martyr, rage is protector, rage is rebel. Look forward to that, as well as another actually course that's going to come out that is like centered towards practitioners and therapists and doing the work that they're doing. Yeah, you can also find me on Instagram at, at Decolonizing Therapy and on Twitter at Dr. Jenny Jen M., And yeah, feel free to send me or my team a little note if you're interested, info at decolonizing therapy. If there's anything we can do or you'd like us to come out and speak, it would be a pleasure. But I want to thank you, Sarah. I want to thank, I love this conversations with a wounded healer because I can so identify with that terminology. Thank you for the work that you're doing in the world and for the ways that you give so generously with your teaching 
with your support, with your knowledge and your wisdom. And I also honor you and your ancestors for the work that you were doing this and seven generations before and after you. So thank you so much. Mm, Thank you for that. Mm, Yes. Thanks so much to Dr. Jennifer Mullen for being our amazing guest today. To learn more about her, you can go to our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. And as always, thanks to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.